All right, people, we are in the last couple of weeks, not even months, weeks of the year, and we are here to cover one of the last big movie events, arguably one of the most anticipated movie events of the last couple of years, that being the aptly titled Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, the sequel to 2018's Black Panther, which was a cultural phenomenon when it was released for a multi so and for a multitude of different reasons. Obviously, again, people look were looking forward to this just to see how Marvel was going to handle the tragic passing of Chadwick Boseman, which occurred two years ago, right in the heat of the pandemic, August of 2020. And so naturally, you have two pasty-faced white dudes here to review Black Panther. Exactly right. The right the, audience. The, the perfect demographic to be reviewing a movie like this. I'm here once again with Luke of Luke Reviews. Luke, you excited for this? I am. There's, I'm, I'm the last-minute sub for this, but if there's anywhere I'd, I want to be subbed in at the last minute, it's here. And oh. I'm ready to, to chat. Oh, that makes me feel movie. so good. Especially, don't worry. I'll, I'll get into the story of like what happened behind the scenes because you guys know I love doing that. All of that and more on today's episode of the Talking TV Podcast. All right, people, we are here. We can officially say that it is time. The last, semi-sort of last major event from Marvel's outing 2022. They put out much less products this year than they did last year when we were gifted with no less than nine. That's right, nine Marvel products in order to make up for the year of no Marvel that was 2020. So Marvel obviously pulled back on the vast amount of stuff that we were getting from them this year while also kind of, you know, shaking things up, introducing us to a little bit of, you know, some new formats some new things that they were testing out. They had that Werewolf by Night special that they were, you know, that they kind of um, tested out during Halloween. You've got the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special that's coming out in about two weeks. But for the most part, this is it, you know, because in addition to this being the last major Marvel thing that we're getting in 2022, this is also, as Kevin Feige announced at the end of uh, at Comic-Con this past summer, we were going over all the news that was announced uh, that this is it for phase four. This is the finale of phase four and that all the next couple Marvel products that we're getting over the next two years that are eventually slowly going to be building us towards what we all kind of guessed but was confirmed at Comic-Con, Kang Dynasty, and Secret Wars in 2025 and 2026, respectively, uh, those will be happening over the courses of phases five and six. So Wakanda Forever is a big, big title in the Marvel, in this phase of Marvel, not just for um, the reason that we discussed in the pre-show. But Luke, before we actually get started on all of that, on, on the Marvel and the Disney of it all, I want to take it back two years. And obviously, you know, August of 2020, I remember exactly where I was. I was, uh, I my, my, yeah, my friend Ian from upstate New York who had come down to see me. You know, we were in the midst of lockdown. We were in the, in the midst of the pandemic. We were looking for anything to take our minds off of it. I was sitting with my, my friend Ian and my other friend Dustin, the Duster Mason, who has been on the show many times. We were sitting in my car and I received a text from my friend, uh, from another friend of mine, telling me Chadwick Boseman just died. And I thought he was joking at first. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Like, what, what, what is this? And I went, I'm naturally doing what I do because, I again, I'm the natural fact checker. I go on Google, and it was true, unfortunately, that on that day, Chadwick Boseman passed of colon cancer. Which So I, I wanted to gauge your reaction first. Like, when, so you, you said you remember exactly where you were when that happened as well. So, like, walk me through, like, what your thought process was when you, when you heard the news. Well, I just I just woke up and first thing I do, you know, it, it's a bad habit, but I do it because I want to see if anything big happened while I was sleeping. 
And such was the case. I open Instagram, first thing I see, black and white picture of Chadwick Boseman. Like, what? The? Oh, whoa! It's like it was. It was a shock, you know, just how everyone was. No, no one knew if he was sick. Like even like Kevin Feige, I think, right. didn't know. So yeah, it was just a shock. Yeah. Yeah, it was baffling to say the least. Because it's like, I mean, you, you you think about how big of a company Disney is, right? Just, just taking Marvel out of it, right? Just think, think of what a big company and how much oversight that Disney has into everybody working for them. You know, ta- talent first and foremost, because talent is the face of their thing, right? And then you think about just, I mean, forget Chad was casting originally in 2016, which is when he started battling the cancer, right? I mean, he had been battling that thing from the moment that he was announced as the Black Panther when they were doing press for Civil War back in like 2015, early 2016. You know, I, I don't remember the exact time, but it was something around that time. So the entirety of the time that we experienced him as Black Panther, he was he was battling this. So the, Infinity so that, War. Yeah, like... Infinity War, Endgame. So that's already the craziest thing about this is the fact that with all the oversight that Disney has over all of its employees that nobody knew, that was the first crazy thing. The second thing, the fact that because of that, his passing quite literally came out of nowhere. Like, it was like, so I feel like usually, I mean, and again, there haven't been too many cases of this, especially because it's like, oh, you know, we always have just such this idea of celebrities in our head that whenever a passing, a tragic thing happens like this, you know, we just saw this recently, of you know, Kevin Conroy, the iconic voice of Batman, just passed away a couple days ago from cancer as well. And, but that was the thing of where the, I, I believe people knew that he had cancer. It wasn't like some big secret or anything like it was with Chadwick. So he just, so, so when that happened, it was kind of like, okay, you know, it's sad and he's obviously an icon and everything. But like that was, I feel like a little bit more palatable, you know? It was the fact that it with Chadwick, it was such a secret and so withheld. So much so to the point that like, I mean, you look at him in those last couple of days that he was, you know, before he died. People did notice something was happening. They noticed he was getting progressively more and more thin, but because it was kept such under wraps like I, I remember I saw him in all those pictures I thought he was losing weight for a role which to a certain extent he was because the two roles that he did last before he died uh you know he did require him to lose a significant amount of weight but like that's what I thought was the reason you know like nobody had any clue and like you listen to stars you listen to the celebrities all the people who worked with him and got to know him in those last couple of years of fame like not a single person knew so naturally obviously you know that we, that we get the heartfelt stuff out of the way then we unfortunately have to get to the corporate cynical side of things, which unfortunately, again, Disney had to handle before anybody else started to ask and started to sound like an asshole. Well, they're like, crap, we have this guy as the star of what could ultimately be the nude face of Marvel. You know, Black Panther, besides just being another high-grossing Marvel movie, was turned out to be a cultural phenomenon. It's the only Marvel Cinematic Universe movie that was nominated for Best Picture. It's the, I believe, I mean, I got to check, you know, sort of the specific semantics, but it's the first, like, big-budget action blockbuster superhero film that is nominated for best picture, you know, taking all the other aspects of it outside of that. Like this, like this was a massive, massive cultural phenomenon. And now all of a sudden they've lost their lead star. You know, they've, they've had situations like this happen before. You know, we'll talk about that later on in the show as well, you know, with the ledger situation from dark Knight and obviously the Paul Walker situation from furious seven, because this has similarities to that. But like, this is the star of your franchise. And they're like, what do you do? Because by that point, they'd already announced that Black Panther was certainly getting a sequel. Ryan Coogler, almost the entire creative team from the first movie was coming back to do this. And so I think, and I I guess the reason for all this preamble, you know, like I said, it is necessary to have because it factors into the movie. The, The reason for this is because Disney, and I can't believe I'm saying this, in the wake of two years of almost every single thing from Disney being universally disappointing in some way, Disney made what was at the time a very controversial decision in 
not recasting him or doing any form of CG replacement like they did with Carrie Fisher for Rise of Skywalker. I know they didn't technically do a body double, but like they still used CG of her from previous films by choosing to, again, not do any form of CG with a body double, not recast the part, but, you know, just choosing to continue on. So naturally, that left a lot of people open to question. They're like, okay, so the character of T'Challa then will not be a part of the Black Panther franchise or the Marvel fr How is this going to work? And so... Needless to say, I'm blown away by just how they pulled it off. Exactly. That's already the most impressive thing about this movie. Luke, I I've already talked enough. What, what, what are your thoughts on that, just in general? How they were able to pull off, essentially, continuing a Black Panther movie without the Black Panther, you know? Ultimately, I think it was a, maybe, like, one of the biggest risks they've ever taken to <clears throat> not recast or anything. But I, th I think it was the right one. It. it adds to Chadwick's legacy that this movie is like kind of about that. Um, I think you can definitely feel that there's a hole in this movie and he would fill that hole. But uh, I think they did just about as good as they could with this. And then maybe now they can continue moving forward into something even better. Yeah. And it's so fascinating in doing the behind the scenes research for this as well, as far as, you know, because obviously, again, it's like, Again, it, the, the the death was such a massive that it was going to have so many of these ripple effects that it's like you want to just you want to know as much information from everyone around it, you know, like and but the the take that I think probably interested me the most as far as the behind the scenes with the approach to how they were going to do this was from Kugler himself because Kugler, uh, besides um, what's it called Kugler. Besides, uh, Coogler is almost like kind of, you know, the other portion of what made this work. You know, like I said, it kind of in the wake of James Gunn being fired and everything from Marvel. Marvel was kind of looking for a couple of, new, and you know, the fact that the Russos were pretty much prepping fully for Infinity War and Endgame at the time. And Marvel's kind of be like, okay, we need some new creatives in order to kind of gear us into the future of the MCU. And at the time, like I said, that was when they had announced Taika Waititi for Ragnarok and Ryan Coogler for Black Panther. And Obviously, Waititi's career has gone the direction that it has. You know, Love and Thunder, the reactions that were what they were. But at the time, it's like, wow, Kugler had had such this amazing career trajectory, you know, seemed to be like the perfect um, example of like the biggest success story for Marvel, where he goes from directing a tiny independent movie that hits huge Sundays with Fruitvale Station to directing a mid-budget level blockbuster that's part of a legacy franchise with Creed and killing that as much as he did to now having this massive, uh, you know, franchise piece still but but still making it feel artistically and creatively unique like that's the thing that, that that's something that always baffles me is when people criticize black panther you know not for not for any of the racial politics or anything like that but for there are people who say that it's, it's another generic marvel movie and i'm like you cl we clearly must have not watched the same movie because anybody who's watched that knows that black panther does not feel just like another copy and paste marvel movie like the, the fact that Black, the first movie, I should say, dared to try and make a statement on isolationism versus globalism and, like, tried to actually use the idea of Wakanda secluding itself from the rest of the world versus attempting to, you know, use its infinite resources and much advanced technology in order to better things for people around the world. The fact that there, that was that those were the questions that were being asked in a Marvel movie and they were being done in a semi-reasonably intelligent manner, not the usual Disney schlock for kids that they put no thought into, that was already mind-blowing enough. So my worry going into it was that Coogler and, and the creative team behind it were going to be kind of so focused on Chadwick's death and le death and legacy and making sure that they did right by him that they were going to kind of lose sight of all of that stuff that made that first movie so impactful and so important and so excellent to begin with. 
And I would say that arguably they might have done it better this time than they did it in, than they did it the first time. I, I don't know. What, what what do you think as far as how, how they handled that? I think they had some definitely good ideas. I think like 80% of what they did really worked for me. And maybe like the last 20% kind of didn't live up to it for me. I'll talk about it later when we get to like Namor and stuff. But yes. uh, towards the beginning where uh, it's the scene at the UN or something where uh, Angela Bassett is like, Oi, what would you do if you got our weapons? Huh? You would you would invade the rest of the world. I don't remember exactly what she said, but something right. along, along those lines. Like, we, we are not giving you this because we know what you do. Right. I think that's, that aspect of it was quite interesting. Yes. Uh, but then, yeah, I think it retreads the first one maybe a bit too much at some places. Interesting. What, what, what are some other places you think that they do that? I don't know. Maybe, maybe the, the ending feels very similar to the last one. I think Shuri even says... Like the line that uh, the Chala said in Civil War, like I'm done letting vengeance consume yes. me. Yes. I was like, mm, could have been something different there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Interesting. Interesting stuff. Yeah. No. Definitely. That the 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 global the globe the more global political aspects of it. You know, I I I will admit I thought that they were going to play a much larger part than they did, especially since obviously it, it you know it becomes clear that the revelation of Atlantis. Is, is a pretty big deal just as far as it's like, okay, it was already one thing that there was an isolated, you know, you know, country in Africa that nobody knew about that had this technology that, that had access to an entire mound of the strongest metal on earth that allowed them to have this advanced civilization that nobody that could easily take over the planet that nobody knew about. That was already one thing. Now that you got this entire underwater race of people who are headed up by essentially a god, right? I mean, he's not technically, but that's essentially kind of how they portray Namor. He's a mutant. He is, he's a mutant. That's right. We'll get to that as well. And and, and no, and like I don't know. Like there, I feel like there were definitely certain other parts where it's like, yeah, they could have done a little bit more with that. Where it's like, okay, Wakanda is like deliberately not telling the CIA and the fact that ever they bring back Martin Freeman's Everett Ross and the only part that he really plays is like, you know, essentially information exchange and that whole storyline is only there when it needs to be and then they kind of just get rid of it when they don't need it anymore. So you're right, that part they could have played around with a I little bit the, more. I think the one thing that bothered me was like Namor was being set up this, as this leader, like he's got his own thing going on and then he kind of turns and says, oh, the, the surface world is really right. pissing me off. I think yeah. it's kinda, and it's like yeah. that's okay. like Orm from Aquaman. It's, it's exactly what it's exactly what that is. Is it's Aquaman, and 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 that's always been what's so cool about Namor from the comics is that Namor does not ultimately at the end of the day give a shit about the surface world. Namor, the whole thing that's so cool about Namor is do not mess with me, and I won't mess with you. You know, but he's also always got his own agenda, and that's always been so cool is that Namor. And throughout the history of the comics has at times been a villain and also been a hero. He's a member of the Illuminati, but he's also fought, been a massive enemy of the Fantastic Four. You know, he's attempted to steal Sue Storm from Reed Richards more times than I think anybody can count. So I thought so the, the, that that whole aspect of it was interesting. But if we're going to back it up a little bit, we should probably, you know, inform the people. Now that the movie is out, you know, it's Sunday. People have had a chance to see it. I, I think I, I haven't got a chance to check the box office yet, but I think it's, it's the biggest November release ever. Ever. OK, ever. cool. That's that. That's good to hear. Yeah, um, inflation, inflation helps, but still inflation definitely, inflation definitely does help. You know, again, it's also like it's it's a well. I mean, the biggest difference between this and the first one's release is the first one was released in February of 2018. You know, but Black History Month, all of that, and this one again, people thought that the November release was going to hurt this a little bit, but it's good to see that that has not been happening. So, 
um, what's it called? How this movie starts is it literally starts with um, what's it called? With again, they they quite literally they write it into the movies in all the trails. The fact that T'Challa dies, you know, they they take Chadwick's death and they basically write it into the movie. Where the overarching thing is that at the beginning, Shuri is attempting to recreate the heart shaped herb that Killmonger destroyed all of at the end of the first film, and she's trying to synthetically create it because T'Challa is sick with some sort of illness. They never they never really go into too yeah, much detail. They, 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 they don't need to. They, they, but they don't need to. It's like we all know what it is. Because, again, it's not about the actual death itself because we know that he's already dead. It's about the grief and that feeling of loss. And it's and it's funny because that's something that people have been talking about has been kind of the overarching th- thread throughout all of the previous Marvel properties that we've gotten in Phase 4 so far. But this is the first one where I've, I felt like that was true to a certain extent in WandaVision but I, and, and definitely in No Way Home. But I can't say that that's really been the case for a lot of the other stuff. But this is the first instance where I really think that it hits because in order to kind of bounce back to my point about you know how they were between a rock and a hard place and somehow managed to come out with gold is that they Kugler makes the very very interesting decision here to have the weight of T'Challa's death hangover and affect every one of the characters differently and the thing that I always liked about Black Panther is that unlike a lot of the other Marvel movies where it was very clear who your leads were and the rest of the supporting characters were kind of just there to make jokes and everything the thing that I liked about Black Panther is that all of the character the supporting characters were just as important arguably as the child in fact I remember that being a criticism of the first movie that people thought that the supporting cast around him was more interesting than Chadwick and therefore Chadwick didn't get as much to do you know because Nakia and her role as a war dog, Okoye as a role of the leader of the Dora Milaje, M'Baku as the leader of the Jabari, you know, this this tribe that's a part of Wakanda but has never really been a part of the mainstream. You know, Shuri, his sister, who has got, you know, like that interesting back-and-forth relationship with. And they all had, they all contributed to such this rich identity that Wakanda presented. And so Chadwick ultimately not being there anymore, you get a lot more time to focus on each of those characters. And I would argue that, it allows for probably some of the best and dynamic character growth that I've seen of any of the Marvel stuff so far in Phase 4 because them positioning Shuri as the new kind of lead and face of of this, they they honestly take her character in directions that I was not expecting them to because I'm not going to say Shuri was my least favorite part of the Black Panther sect of the Marvel Universe, but she wasn't my favorite at all. I personally thought that Nakia and Okoye she and Mbaku... She wasn't very developed. She right, was just exactly. A, she was just a little sister who's right, good with tech. Was, exactly. She was the little sister, the, the techie sidekick character. And this one, they... God damn it. They really, really did a good job as far as, like, you know, showing, like, how old... She had this tremendous burden hanging over her. You know, obviously, first... She's already got the loss of T'Challa hanging over her. Then, obviously, once Namor comes into the picture and all the fuckery that starts going around with there, you know, the bond that she forms with Riri Williams once she comes into it. Then, once Namor attacks Wakanda. Then, once she recreates the synthetic herb. Then, again, this is not a spoiler. This is in the trails. Once she becomes the Black Panther at the end and the choices that she chooses to go through as a leader, it's a great arc that I was not expecting at all, you know? And, again, again, just I, I cannot emphasize enough how awesome it was seeing these characters react in a way that it felt so real and it felt so genuine. Real. Yeah, because I think it, yeah. This it didn't feel Marvel. The whole time yes. I was watching this is not this is not Doctor Strange. This is not Thor. This is this is something else. It feels more serious. It, it was surprisingly dark. Like you have people committing suicide like without them being able to control it. I was like, whoa. Yeah. So I, I really like that. Hopefully, you know, they, they can take it that further. I've been saying this for a while. Your demographic is getting older all the time. 
the, the people who saw Avengers when they were 10 years old, that's me. They're 20 now. Like, come on, get yeah. us something darker. So uh, Exactly. It's like, I, trust I, us, we can handle it. We'll, we'll go see your movie. You'll make money. Don't you worry. Look, we all sat until the second credits like a bunch of idiots and nothing yes. came. And nothing came. You, you have us on a string. Just make something darker. Uh, oh, I love that. At the very least, they, they just didn't give us anything. And instead, they did stick another like stupid Steve Rogers PSA like they did at the end of Homecoming. I That's thought it. there'd be something for Thunderbolts. I was convinced like, we were getting Doctor Doom. I remember I told you that at Comic-Con. You did tell heard, me. But it turns like, out I was wrong. I realized that was it was the wrong movie. I thought we were going to get it in this movie, but we're getting it in Quantumania. That's when we're getting it. Mm. So, um, yeah, no, but yeah, you're 100% right, exactly. And that has always consistently been... The, again, like people always criticize that about Marvel beforehand, but I think that's just again because that that was again it wasn't the right demographic that was appealing to Marvel. Because again, notice how the demographic that Marvel was appealing to during the Infinity Saga, people like us, we never had a problem with it because again we were again you were ten when the first Avengers came out, I was fourteen when it came out. You know, it's like we were just in that perfect frame of it's like coming out of elementary school, going into going into going through middle school and into high school. You know, and then again we literally grew up. With his friend, that was our franchise really growing up and coming of age with. You know, I, I can't say, you know, the way that Harry Potter was for millennials and all that. You know, every generation has that franchise. And for us, that's what Marvel was, which is why Marvel continues to have this effect. But it's the fact that, again, after the year of COVID and just the vast amount of stuff that we're getting now, again, we went from having three blockbuster movies a year to having five TV shows and three to four movies a year. You know, it's a lot to keep track of. And we're, you know, we're multitaskers. We can keep track of it. But it's like the whole thing is it's like because there's so much more stuff to keep track of. We kind of know by default that not all of it is going to be as good. So therefore we're going to be a lot more picky and choosy and selective. And it doesn't help that they are essentially pulling back and trying to make it more palatable and more kid friendly and more appealing to a wide demographic. When again, we almost always know that that all that pretty much all the time backfires on them. But so I'm even more amazed that they were actually able to take some risks with this. And again, going back to the characters showing how that grief, affected each one of them differently it felt so real it felt so human because we know grief affects everybody differently you know everybody goes it through felt it like a real a ensemble way. like exactly. everyone was pushed to the front now that the front man was gone so everyone kind of came together to provide and i thought that was really good exactly and what's even more fascinating is how you 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 hear about what kugler was talking about with the behind the scenes of it's like like, like th that is that's not necessarily something that resulted entirely from Chadwick's death. He's like that was always going to be something that was part of the script because he talked about this in an interview about like you know because people were obviously asking him in the interview process they're like okay well obviously what what direct changes happened to the script as a result of the death and he was like it's funny because I had a version of the script ready to go and he was going to send it to Chadwick like I think only like a couple days before he died back in 2020 and he said really the biggest thing that only changed was the lead character because the whole idea of what the original script was going to be was T'Challa dealing with having been snapped away for five years, you know, kind of exactly what all the other characters that we followed in the wake of COVID that experienced when they were snapped away, you know, Wanda, Peter, Strange, all the other characters, you know, Sam, all the other characters that were snapped away during the blip and kind of how when they came back to the world, um, all, all, the, all the different changes that had happened as a result of it. And, um, and and he said how the biggest thing that he wanted to focus on was really how that affected T'Challa and the fact that he wasn't there for his kingdom when they really needed him most. And now he's got this new threat that's coming in in a way that nobody has been able to was able to expect or that nobody was able to anticipate with Namor and and the underground and the underwater city of Talokan. And it's like and he's just once again questioning like whether or not he's qualified to be king essentially. And so from what it sounds like, really the only major changes that happened 
in the behind the scenes was essentially swapping out T'Challa's part for Shuri, essentially, where now it's Shuri that's having to go through that, but now the grief that she's dealing with is not the idea of being snapped away for five years, but rather the grief of losing her brother and the fact of constantly asking the question of, could I have done more? You know, all that. And how she, the, the, right, the entire movie, she's attempting to, she's essentially doing, again, what I feel like is the very Gen Z response of just pushing it all aside and not trying to feel anything because she knows that, you know, not feeling anything is going to be more bearable than actually letting in the hurt and dealing with it. And that's what makes that final moment of the movie when she finally sits down and she finally has a chance to say goodbye to her brother. And we have that beautiful montage of all the moments between the two of them from the first movie. And she's finally letting that all in and affecting her. It's like there was something that was really cathartic, not only for her, but I feel like for us as the audience. Because it's like everybody's talked about this at this point. And I know it's like, you know, it sounds super hypocritical for me as a white guy. But it's like, yeah, Chad, losing Chad, we all lost a piece of ourselves, you know. Like that was that was a part that really almost surpassed the idea of just a traditional movie star part you know like that that when he died that felt like like i said it didn't help that it was in the middle of covid one of the most hopeless and miserable time periods for a lot of people but it was like we all felt like a real moment of loss and a real moment of despair that kind of i feel unified us as a global populace really you know so so seeing that personified on screen it was like the first moment in a long time where i feel like any of us had a chance to like really work through this grief that had been built up for two years. Some of which, again, we didn't even realize. That would sound stupid because I'm talking about a movie star, essentially, and it's always diff- and it's always weird when you're talking about that. Because again, But again, that's the beauty of movie stars. People can relate to them, whether they actually know them as people or not, you know? So I, I don't know if you felt the same way, but that's just something that I, I definitely felt from the opening scene of the movie all the way through to the end. Not to mention the fact that for a two-hour and 40-minute runtime, this flew by. This is it did, like it did. It really did feel that long. Yeah, it, it didn't feel sh- short either, but no. it, it didn't feel dragged out. Right, it anything. felt like the perfect length of time. Like unlike the Batman, I enjoyed the Batman, but Batman felt like four hours after I, a certain I, I do point. admit it, it does. And especially like on rewatch. A, oh yeah, it's like after a certain point, I'm like, oh my god, like I watched it and I watched that movie twice in theaters. I'm like, Jesus Christ, can we get to the point already? But here it's like, I, I wasn't even checking my watch. I was just so locked in for minute one, and I looked by. I'm like. Yeah, that was that was two hours and forty minutes. That's wow. That's that's impressive. You know, which people always kind of hyperbolize the actual length of Marvel movies because they never count for the fact that of the actual runtime, about ten to fifteen minutes of that runtime is credits. So it's you always have to shave off like a couple minutes of that. You know, but it's again, like, yeah, it, it is a fairly long Marvel movie. It's another two and a half hour long Marvel movie, but we've gotten a decent amount of those at that point. You know, again, it's not Endgame. It's not three hours long, which. I blame Endgame for other long movies, by the way. Yeah. Oh, Endgame I, made I, I like $3 too. billion dollars and everyone and the everyone's like, like, ooh, people long movies, love long movies. I mean, that, that's a whole separate discussion as far as like, again, people continuously trying to eventize movies without understanding like why people show up to movie events. But so that, I feel like that covers Wakanda. I feel like that covers everything that like, you know, the, the characters and everything that are going through, you know, again, we can talk about, the, you know, everything that like Nakia went through. I also li- just, I, I loved Lupita. Lupita was one of my favorite parts about that first movie. And I love seeing her back again, seeing Denai continue to kick ass as Okoye. Um, Mbaku she, did she was not, really good. She had really, that, really good. Like, she got, she had their title stripped away. That, yeah. that was interesting. And it's funny too, that because you see, you see when that happens, you're like, what? Why does she deserve this? She's like the most efficient. But then when Ramonda gives her reasons for why, you're like, oh, fuck. Like, it's like, I hate that you're doing this, but like, I, I understand where you're coming from, you know? And like, Mbaku, I'll admit, did not have as big a part as I thought that he was going to, but his yeah. part still worked. Like, you know, but again, coming from a place that I did not think where he's the one that's cautioning restraint to Shuri, which I, I was not at all expecting. But again, it just shows, continues to show that Mbaku is just an incredible character. But I mean, 
Can we just give Angela Bassett a fucking Oscar already? Like, good lord. I know that everyone's been talking about it at this point, but oh my god. Like, I'm like, obviously, again, you hear when the cast is being announced on the first movie, they're like, Angela Bassett is playing the Black Panther's mom. You're like, oh yeah. And then I'll admit, she was good in that first movie, but again, felt like she didn't have as much in her to show off. You know, this is Angela Bassett. This is arguably one of the greatest working actors that we have right now. And this movie, it's almost like they realized that it hides that, that they didn't give her a super whole lot to do with that first movie. And now they're like, oh, She's running Wakanda now in the wake of T'Challa's death. We are giving her all of the, those meaty, juicy scenes that we know that Angela Bassett can just sink her teeth into in a way that we know that she does so well. And it's like, oh, it's almost like she's letting that pain of losing the Oscar all those years ago for the Tina Turner biopic just like come out in her entire performance. Because, oh my God, like that is one of the best performances I've seen so far this year. Like, just everything that she does, every moment, every bit of overacting, every like bit of subtle enunciation that she does from her face, and it's I, I don't know I don't know what it is. Luke, you gotta you gotta tell me if you agree with this, but when, when, whenever she takes off like her headdress and you see her hair, I always forget that she's like got white hair in that because Angela Bassett is sixty years old but still looks like she's rocking forty. Like, because she just, the woman does not age at all. So like, I don't know, is it always unsettling for you to see like what color her hair is whenever she takes off her headdress? Yeah, she, you know, she's always wearing the headpiece, so I'm like, whoa. Yeah. Right, she has that, but yeah, she she probably did have the best performance in this, although uh, I think Letitia Wright did. Letitia Wright well. was great. Letitia Wright, I, I did think, was fantastic as well. Um, yeah, Angela Bassett, she had those, you know, the, the screaming, overacting things. She she nailed those. You know, it, They're not easy to do. Just no. ask Harry Styles. Like, <laughs> exactly, exactly. He'll tell, he'll, he'll, he, won't, he won't tell you. But he won't tell we'll, you. We'll, we'll, we'll tell him. Um, <laughs> But yeah, uh, everyone brought their A game, and uh, what's his, what's what's the Namor guy's name? Oh, Tana Cuerta is the guy's name. Yeah, he, yeah, he did really well. He oh, really man. held he held awesome. his own. He brought a presence. Sure, sure, his character might not have been all that towards the end, but he he pr- certainly brought a presence to match or not match, but to compete with that of Killmongers in the first one. Yeah, so so if that's the case. So, so you you want you want you wanted the Namor discussion now. Uh, yeah, I guess. All right. So, obviously, again, it, it's a pretty big deal. There was already so much focus that was going into this movie to begin with. But it's, like, almost like the cherry on top. I was, like, making sure that, like, everybody was going to see this movie. Again, and this is something that had been hinted at since way back in the early days of Marvel, back to 2010, at the end of Iron Man 2, you know, when Nick Fury is sitting down with Tony Stark at the end of that movie, and you've got the map at the end showing, like, all the potential points of superhero activity going on around the globe and everyone was pointing out the two easter eggs the one in africa to hint at wakanda and black panther and the one in the atlantic ocean to hint at oh shit namor's in this universe and like there were always hints there were always rumblings but there was always pretty much a sign that you know is similar to how people wanted the Netflix heroes to come in in the Infinity Saga, but it was never really going to happen, at least at that point, how there were always rumblings that Namor was going to make a big appearance. You know, again, Namor, the Submariner, again, a very, very, very big and crucial uh, comics character, one of the first people, enemies that the Avengers faced, constant foe to the Fantastic Four, but also a little bit of an anti-hero. He helped form the Illuminati. Um, What's it called? And so naturally, when it was revealed, and, and it, again, that was another thing that Cooler made a joke about in the behind the scenes of where it's like, yeah, like I purposely told Kevin Feige to not include Namor in any other project because I wanted to save it for him. Because, I mean, it was always going to be a tough act. Like Killmonger was such a force to be reckoned with. And the performance that Michael B. Jordan brought to that movie was just so unlike anything 
that had really been seen in Marvel at that point. So and he brought it in this one too. Well, yeah, Link he, Wink. Did bring it, he did bring it in this one as well. You, you did on. tell me about that one. I, that, yeah, that one yes, you did, I did. Get, right? I did. Yeah, that that one I called. That that one I'm like, okay, that that one it it has to be. You know, it, it's the only it's the only thing that could make sense because I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sure he's not going to see any one of her other family members because I'm like, look, it, it'd be a little bit of a problem. Sure, he goes into the ancestral planes and sees her mom and her dad, but not T'Challa. So, and obviously, they can't show T'Challa. But listen, what are they going to do? So that part I thought was genius, but. Oh man, they're like, so how do you follow up a guy like Killmonger? They're like, well, it's got to be Namor. You know, it's like, who else would be able to provide as compelling of a threat, not only to T'Challa, at least at the time when the script was being written, but to Wakanda itself as well, other than Namor. And again, they made a couple of changes in order to, you know, they renamed Atlantis uh, to the city of Talokan in order to, you know, again, not provide more confusion with DC because there's already been enough confusions. Again, they already re DC already did that one when they renamed Shazam in order to not confuse it with Captain Marvel. Um, and so now Marvel's doing that uh, vice versa. And I'll say this, um, the presentation of him, at least in the first uh, half of the movie, is masterful, just as far as like capturing everything that Namor stands for. Where again, if you if you fuck with him and his people, he will... He he will, in order to quote uh, one of my favorite lines from Ocean's Eleven, he will kill you and then he'll go to work on you, you know, where, again, you just see the Atlanteans when they're attacking that drilling rig at the beginning and the, the one helicopter is about to get away. And I also, I love the bit too where they included the sirens bit where they start singing and causing, you know, all, all the people to, to fall off the plot. I thought that was genius and I was not expecting that at all. And then the helicopter tries to fly away and then something grabs it and it's swinging right. around. That, you can't that really was pretty it. sick. It was so sick and he purposefully shrouded and then it pans up and you see him with the flying wings on his feet. And then when he shows up later on and he actually, and you actually start to see him and how he's like positing himself, I'm like, fuck like that that's namor and i'm like and these guys these guys are gonna have because you know what it is it's the fact that marvel has the, the closest that we've ever gotten to morally gray marvel characters i know that you know people like to posit that all marvel's characters are somewhat morally gray but the truth is they're really not they're all pretty for the most part they all know what's good and what's bad what's right what's wrong there's not a whole lot of morally gray areas you know it, it, like even when the bad guy, almost all the bad guys are screwed over by the good guys at some point, but it's like they're they're all pretty evil to begin with. So you know, like nobody thought that Obadiah Stane was ever a good guy. Nobody thought that Guy Pierce from Iron Man three. I know I'm listing off bad examples, but the, the, I guess the whole thing is that Marvel is not known for its sense of moral ambiguity. And outside of Killmonger and Thanos, there really haven't been that many Marvel movies. I mean, I guess the Marvel villains that are that morally gray. I mean, I guess the closest you could get is the Vulture from the first Spider Man, but that's really it. But Again, Namor as a character, what makes him so interesting and compelling is the fact that he is the definition of a morally gray character. And what I mean by that is that he does the absolute right thing for the wrong reasons and the absolute wrong thing for the right reasons. And he just does not care. He has got no sense of obligation to anybody other than himself and his people. Now, I have to do a little bit more research into the comics because I don't remember. I know that Namor obviously is the ruler of Atlantis, but I don't remember exactly like to what extent that goes as far as like like I, I don't remember Namor having this deep sense of personal connection to his people the way that he does obviously in this movie but I think that what's so fascinating here is again him presenting not exactly the same perspective as um as Killmonger in the first movie but a similar enough perspective where it's like look the we we all know we're not naive here we know how the rest of the world operates it's like T'Challa made the decision to announce what kind of the rest of the world and what did they do? They they did exactly what it is that we thought they were going to do and they started trying to hunt for and get the vibranium. And he's like, what do you think they'll do 
if they find out about me and my people, you know? So we're, we're both kind of in that same boat. So we can help each other out or, or you can continue to try and play this faux peace situation, in which case you are my enemy and I will destroy you. And he doesn't lose sight of that for the entire, for the entire thing of it, which is, again, I can't even, even more so than Thanos. You know, Thanos was always evil because at the end of the day, Thanos' goals no matter how much he justified them, were always evil. They resulted in murder. They resulted in death. They resulted in genocide. And Namor does not want any of that. Namor, obviously, yeah, he's got a little bit of the anarchist nature of him. He's got a little bit of the, you know, me over them. You know, we have to kill the rest of the world before the rest of the world has a chance to kill us. But he's doing it from a sense. And yeah, obviously, he's got a tragic backstory with everything that happened to his mother and and, and his people. But he's also a situation of it's like, yeah, if we don't do this, they will come for us, and they will kill us, and they and they and they will expunge our resources until there is nothing left. And I, I can't say that I, I disagree with him. It's the same reason why I had such a hard time disagreeing with Killmonger in that first Black Panther movie. It's like I'm, I'm listening, and I know that I know that I know that I, I know that you're the bad guy here because that's what the marketing has told me. But like everything that you're saying is making sense, you know. It's it's like why I had such a hard time with it. It's like. Was he the, really the bad guy here? You know, and with Namor, that's even more morally gray. You know, I think I have to. I'd have to maybe watch it again to try and analyze it a little better. Just take it all in more. Uh, you know, it's it's the first viewing after right. all. You're just kind of taking the story in more than the character intricacies and and so on. Uh, but yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with the morally gray thing. I think that's that elevates him a little bit. Yes, sure. Sure. There was that last. 10% that maybe didn't work quite for me. Right. Uh, but yeah, like he, yep. he presented that thing, the interesting thing of there's Talokan and Wakanda. Like, what does Wakanda do when there's a, like another Wakanda that they didn't know about? Right. Like, right. how does it, like, like they, they're always prepared. Like, oh yeah, we're the alphas. You know, we, we have vibranium. No one else does. And then what does that do when they find a whole civilization who lives on vibranium as well? And obviously, they get attacked quite massively. Uh, yeah. so that was that seems really good. There's some really cool slow mo there. Yes, like, when he punches in Baku, there's like oh, oh it was whoa. so good. That was and it's funny because again, Chris slow mo has become something that is so overly criticized in everything now to the point wow. where again, it almost feels like a lot of filmmakers are so afraid to use it unless they're Zack Snyder who just doesn't care at this point. But oh my god, those shots of the water exploding, the way the water was coming in, the, the almost real time react, and also like it was the first. Marvel movie I've seen in a while that inspired like a genuine reaction because you have that amazing sequence when Namor brings Shuri and Riri to Talokan he's showing them around and he's explaining to Shuri exactly what, what and, and then later Ramonda when Ramonda calls him up to the surface as a distraction so that Nakia can get in and save them and Namor is telling them exactly what will happen if they don't do exactly what it is that he has instructed them to do and you see Nakia shoot and kill the one Atlantean woman or, or sorry, the, the Talokan woman went in order to get them out of there. And as they're flying back to Wakanda, I'm just sitting there. I'm like, oh, they are so fucked. I'm like, there is because it's like, once you actually see it, because you're right. The Wakandans have no comprehension of exactly how much, despite the fact that Namor has told them, is like, yeah, Wakanda cannot win again against us. Like, it's one thing being told it. And then it's another thing actually seeing like the, the forces of Talokan on full display. And so when they're flying back to Wakanda, you just have to start. And you're like, oh, they are so, so screwed. Like, they, this is a fight that they cannot win, you know? And so that it's like, again, it's the idea of introducing, I think that people have always complained about with Marvel things. It's introducing real stakes into it. Real stakes, real deaths, 
real actual sense of pathos, real sense of emotion, real sense of the things that the, the decisions that the characters are making are having actual effects on them. You know, not necessarily on the rest of the outside world, but the rest of the outside world doesn't necessarily matter. You know, also, I mean, you could definitely tell that they were trying to ape as that they, that they saw some of those pre visual stills from avatar and they were trying to ape as much of that as possible because, Oh my God, it's like how many shots of Atlanteans swimming alongside whales did we need in this movie? I mean, I get it. You know, it's a great, I, I like, I like the whales. I, I love the whales. Don't worry. I love the whales, but it's like after a certain point, it's like, okay, we've already seen like 15 other shots of Atlanteans flying alongside, swimming alongside whales. We get it. You got whales, you know, with like, can we see some other sea life as well? Can we see some sharks? Can we see some, like maybe some giant squids, jellyfish, a like, manta ray, a manta ray. The ocean has more than whales, you know. So I, 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 that was just that was just a funny little nitpick that I had in the back of my mind. But um, yeah, only like some minor nitpicks that I had. I thought that the action, the actual, the the the, the action of the choreography was a little bit choppy at points. And I, I'll say this is not something that's exclusive to this one because I thought that was a problem with the first movie as well. I thought that the action was not as well choreographed as it probably could have been. And I, but again, like that—that's the thing that was criticized the most about the first movie were the action sequences. But I can definitely say that the CG was a lot more polished and a lot better in this second outing than it was uh, on the first outing. But so, two more things that I want to talk about real quick before we wrap up and get out of, get out of here with our final thoughts. Um, and that is the character of Riri Williams, who is introduced in this movie as um what's it called? As, as almost like kind of like the catalyst slash plot armor slash MacGuffin of the movie where the whole trajectory and that kind of the thing that kicks off the conflict between Wakanda and Talokan is that um what's it called there there is an obviously you know the rest of the world is attempting to search for deposits of vibranium and you have the ship that is drilling underneath the ocean for a, a vibranium uh mine that they find which attracts the attention of Talokan they attack them but the machine that has been built in order to detect Vibranium has been built by Riri Williams. So now Namor wants her, and now the Wakandans feel that they need to protect her because in their eyes, she's an innocent. And I'm I'm not going to say that, like, she doesn't work entirely in the movie at all, especially because, again, we've seen previous instances of how this goes disastrously wrong in other Marvel movies, you know, kind of like the, the child prodigy figure that's also the MacGuffin of the movie you know again very reminiscent of America Chavez in in Doctor in Multiverse of Madness earlier this year and also helps that she's been being played by an actress who actually can act you know Dominique Thorne I saw her last year in Judas and the Black Messiah and I thought she was fantastic I think that she she definitely can hold her own in a scene for sure but I mean if I had to say one weak link of the movie it would definitely be her where it's like okay they're clearly setting her up as the new Iron Man you know the fact that again she's this genius prodigy at 19 it's a whole lot of exposition we're being told that she's this genius we can clearly figure that out and as far as kind of her you know trying to have this bond with Shuri I don't know I feel like that was the only part that like didn't necessarily work out as much for me and they like they were trying to have all these things that linked the two of them where it's like you know yeah it's like I, you know I work with my dad all this we had this bond and all that but I don't know that was just the one point where again it, it wasn't it wasn't nearly as offensive to me as something like the America Chavez character in Multiverse of Madness where I thought that other than her literally just being a MacGuffin that Strange was trying to protect from Wanda she kind of served no purpose ultimately like like Riri did have a purpose and she did serve a little bit of an emotional purpose but just for me you know weak link of the movie ultimately but I feel like that's something that a lot of people I feel like are gonna are gonna come to the same conclusion of I don't know what do you think I think she was fine I think this is kind of the obligatory Marvel setup thing that you need to to keep the overall thing moving along so that you don't waste any time anywhere so just having her in there I think the, the dynamic was good enough her suit 
know, it, it looks a bit like a power. Yeah, I, I don't know what but... her suit was. It looked, it looked like I, I'm trying to think of what it, it looked almost like an anime design, almost. Yeah, like it, like a mech or something. Like, yeah, like you see it in Pacific Rim. Or kind something. of, kind of. It was giving but, me a very uh, Pacific Rim. And I don't know why. Just the seeds of like with her when her helmet went up, and then Okoye when she got like her new battle armor that Shuri built for her, and her oh, yeah. helmet thing went up. And I just thought that was the goofiest thing. I, I don't know why. It's like that, I, was, I, that was very much like, hey guys, remember Tony Stark? Remember how? <laughs> remember how he did the thing? That's that was so cool. Exactly. And it's like, again. I don't know, man. This might just be me, but it's like, you're clearly building an Iron Man suit and you're leaving it to like a guy outside this. Is, oh, man, shit, you got an Iron Man costume. And it's like, <laughs> you're not going to say once and it's like, oh, yeah, I was, you know, you're not going to say, oh, yeah, it's totally an original design. I'm like, really? You're building a suit of armor, a battle suit of armor that can fly and shoot projectiles. And you came up with this totally original design on your own. Yeah. Okay, kid. And uh, so I, I, I just thought that that was funny. And, One funny um, thing about... uh. The, the 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 midnight angel suit as she called it like oh, in the yeah. first like in the first movie right brainium's yo right 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 brainium's so cool oh yeah it, it fixes your broken spine it doesn't detect metal it's, it's the best thing ever yeah uh, and then this one she presents the suit to the choir it's like oh it gives the user superhuman strength speed and agility i turn to my friend i'm like oh, of course it does of it'd be weird it if, it, if it, it'd be weird if it didn't yeah right <laughs> it's like we right. knew that you know so yeah, no. I don't know. And then the other scene that I want to talk about is uh, again. It's I. I don't know if this counts as spoiler. I, I'm not sure. Like to the you know the levels of how information disseminates through the internet is always confusing to say the least because it's the internet. But I mean the Killmonger sequence. Like like that was the one thing. So I called two things going into this movie. One of which was wrong. That being the Doctor Doom was going to be in the post credit scene. I was a hundred percent wrong on that. The actual post the actual mid credit scene that we got I thought was actually quite beautiful and I really really enjoyed it. Um and um. That being uh, Shuri meeting, uh, the, discovering the reason for why Nakia was missing from every movie after Black Panther. and That being because her and T'Challa had a son and why she wasn't at T'Challa's funeral. And that's because she and T'Challa had a son that she's been taking care of in her private school that she's been running in Haiti. And um, what's it called? And then uh, the other one that I did call that was right was that when Shuri went into the ancestral plane in order to be, gain the powers of the heart-shaped herb is that she would run into Killmonger. And I thought that that scene was... That was perfect. Masterful. Masterful. Just like the fact that she goes in, she's got all this grief. She's got this chip on her shoulder. She doesn't know what to do. She's just lost every one of her family members. And who does she see? Her cousin who is telling her, like, look, why do you think it is? Like, look, I know that I'm the bad guy, but you got to admit, it's almost like he's voicing and like, like my exact thought process as far as towards it, where he's like, I know I'm the bad guy, but you got to admit, when it came to getting shit done, I got shit done, you know? And I love the line when he tells her. It's like, do you want to be noble like your brother or do you want to get business done like me? And I just thought, oh, I just, I'm like, Michael B. Jordan, stop reminding me why you're the best at what you do. I know, I get it, you know? You're you're the best at what you do, you know? It's like, I, I can't wait to see him battling Kang versus, uh, you know, in next year's Creed 3, which by the way- I, I need to I, watch I, the Creeds. Yeah, but, but you, you already know, you already agree with me on this, right? That the biggest missed opportunity they had was not calling it, you know, Creed 3 KVK. Like, why why didn't they call it that? Missed opportunity right there. You know, the, 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 the previous- enlisted best Marvel villain that was a one-off versus the new big bad Marvel villain, you know, both played by arguably two of the best actors on besides the fact that Jonathan Majors is kind of like stealing a little bit of Michael B. Jordan's thunder. I I, I think there was so much missed opportunity with that, but I, I just thought that was masterfully done. I, I thought it was perfectly well utilized. It, 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 again, it's, it, it's, it's doing what again, all these movies do best. This, what this type of movie is going to do best in that they're going to be points 
where it feels like Chadwick was supposed to be here, but they can't put him in here for obvious reasons. And I think they did the best possible job that they could have done in that absence. And uh, yeah, and I, and I thought it was really well utilized. So with that being said, you know, because again, that was another thing that people were wondering about. They're like, okay, you know, Killmonger died at the end of the first movie, but they're like, but people loved him too much. So how do we incorporate him and continue to make him a relevant part of the MCU? And I think they definitely did a good job of that last year with the What If animated show. And then They'll probably show up in Secret Wars or something. Probably. I would, I'm assuming that everybody, with the oh, except yeah. the people who are literally dead in real life, will be making a cameo of some kind in Secret Wars, you know, uh, at, at least for the, the, at least unlike a multiverse of madness promised to. So, with that being said, Luke, before we wrap up and get out of here, as I've said, uh, like I said, so phase four, this is it. You know, phase four is done. So when, once we get, I mean, we got the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, but well, that, that's like, yeah, that, that's a yeah, best ball. Kevin special. Bacon. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that that's bonus material. So starting with Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania, this will uh, that that will officially be kicking off Marvel's Phase Five, which will continue until summer of 2024, when where it will conclude with the Thunderbolts. Although they might try to tack on Deadpool three onto that, I'm not quite sure how they're going to do that. But um, with that being said, so you want to rank uh, all the Marvel stuff that you've seen so far for 2022, mm -hmm. or all the Marvel Phase Four stuff in general between right, last year do, and this let's year? Let's do Phase Four. All right, yeah. Phase Four. So let me just bring it up. Yeah. Back and forth. So, uh, what's it called? Let me just pull mine up as well. Some so I will are like very close to each other. Yes, so I agree with that. that. And I will also preface by saying that I did not watch Miss Marvel. That is the only thing that I have not. I, I haven't put so the shows because the shows are just so meh. So mid. Yeah. So what? So you only I, have the so you only have the movies, not the shows. I have the movie. I have the movies plus Werewolf. Plus Werewolf. All right. So what? What would your rank? I, I can. So I can far? bring up the shows. Well, do do the I movies first. Thing. Just do the movies okay. first. Movies first. Okay. Number eight and number seven are very close. Number eight, Doctor Strange. Number seven, Thor, Love and Thunder. Yes. So then, like, one star higher. So that was two stars. Now we're at six stars. Uh, we have Black Widow and Shang-Chi. Both right. very close for me. You know, Florence Pugh, the goat. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, then, half a star higher, like a 7.5. We have Werewolf by Night. All right. Yeah, I still gotta watch that. I heard it. Was, I heard it was great. For what it was, it was great. Like, like fifty minute special, in the style of like old monster movies. Yeah, I, I love yeah. those. Uh, yeah. So then at number three, like a hovering between a seven point five and an eight, is Wakanda Forever. All right. Then half a star higher, four stars. Eternals. Yes, that's right. That's right. You were not. You were. An Eternals I, I'm. Fan. I'm on Team Eternals. You are on Team Eternals. You know what's funny? I. I, I think you're. I think I'm gonna surprise some people with my thoughts on that. And then obviously number one is No Way Home because No Way. Yeah. As good as this movie was, unfortunately, No Way Home is still I think the biggest success story of Phase Four overall. I when I rewatch it, it'll drop down the MCU ranking. But yeah, just let's just let it sit there. Yeah. Why, why, why I can. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm gonna be able to justify putting Eternals up that high, but like Eternals is a movie that, like, again, I, I'm like, I have watched it more than any of the other Marvel stuff. A, a lot of the other Marvel stuff, like I've watched it more than Shang Chi, I've watched it more than Black Widow, I've watched it more than Multiverse of Madness, I've watched it more than Love and Thunder, and it again, it it does get me thinking. I'm like, the the, the movie itself was not poorly conceptualized not everything about it works but i definitely think that might have been a little bit of an iron man 2 situation where people just kind of dogpiled a little bit unfairly on it without actually understanding what exactly it was so with that being said again it's still not super high for me but if i'm ranking all the movies and tv shows not counting uh miss marvel which i did not watch i would have so that puts it at 13 for the multiverse saga 13 is she hulk 
one of the worst things I've ever seen. I still don't know just what Marvel and the writers were trying to accomplish, and the writers are still. But I, but I feel like I've seen the whole show because everybody reposts everything. Tr trust me, you trust me. If you've seen one episode, you've seen the whole show. You don't need to watch the rest. I've uh, seen every Daredevil scene without yeah. watching any of the show. Exactly. Yeah, like, so that, that and just tells you about the MCU that, that's hype culture. That's all you need as, to see, as Matt would call it. Yes, Shout I agree. Uh, shout out to Matt. Been a while. Miss you, Matt. Uh, at number 12 would be Shang-Chi. You already know my thoughts on that. I thought the first half worked. Second half, not so much. And I ultimately thought that it was, as far as just a Marvel origin story, I thought it was kind of a lackluster bit. Then probably at 11, I would put Black Widow. Black Widow is a movie that, again, I liked when I saw it. I didn't love it. And the more that I thought about it, it kind of sinks lower and lower. Just for the pure and simple fact that it sucks because they try to make this movie for so long. But it's just, it's unnecessary. It didn't need to happen. We didn't need to see any of that stuff. We really, really didn't. It's ultimately unnecessary. It doesn't work because it's for a character that we already know is going to die. And it's for setting up for future characters um, that we were already going to see. Like, I don't know. Like, there's just something kind of unsatisfying about that. And, like, I don't know. Like, as good as Florence Pugh is, I feel like she really doesn't hit her stride until Hawkeye. And when she's introduced in Hawkeye, I'm like, did we really need this movie? So that's unfortunately mm -hmm. why it sinks as low as it is, even though the movie's not that bad. Then probably at 10... It's still Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Again, that's another one where it's like that show had all the promise in the world. That was a show that was almost like had all the ingredients already ready to go as far as it being possibly the best new Marvel thing. And for them to just drop the ball in the third act as hard as they did, the fact that they have an entire episode, penultimate episode that is essentially just Sam and Bucky just throwing the shield back and forth and talking. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? You know, like, why is but this? They went to my city. But they did go to your city. That's true. Not, 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 not the actors, but the show. Yeah, they, they, so I'll they, take they, it. they did go there. So that's fair, you know. And all, all the stuff with Isaiah Bradley, I just thought that, like, I, again, like the fact that they had a lot of cool stuff that they were bouncing around, and ultimately it just didn't measure up to it. Then after that, I would probably put Love and Thunder and Multiverse of Madness, some variation of those two. Again, they, those movies both had a lot of similarities in that they both had the potential to be really awesome, and just kind of ended up being like really fast-paced, really choppily edited, felt like there was a lot of stuff missing for both of those movies, didn't really kind of, were, were both kind of low-key, just like the, the the characters that were in the title of the movies were not really the main character because Doctor Strange and Thor are ultimately not the main characters of those movies. It's really Wanda and Jane that are the main characters, you know, some badass villains for sure. But again, kind of just like, they go by so fast and they're throwing so much stuff at you, but then by the time you're done with them, you're like, what ultimately was the point of watching that? You know, I know a lot of people... Hated the comedy and Love and Thunder. For me, it's like, I don't know. It worked. I thought it was funny. I thought the bits with the screaming goats, that shit made me laugh. I thought it was funnier than Ragnarok. So if I'm the only person defending Love and Thunder, I'm fine with that. And that's uh, nine and eight. Then seven. Seven and six is, again, the last variation. And the top five are pretty rock solid. Seven and six is between WandaVision and Eternals, where both of those are, again, really, really interesting as far as what they're trying to go for conceptually, but ultimately miss the mark just a little bit, but not enough to make me downright hate them, where Eternals, as far as doing the whole existential cr character crisis grappling, um, I think it does great. I think where it misses is with certain of the casting and the characterizations of the character, specifically with the lead, with Cersei. I think she's kind of a weak, uncompelling lead. And I think that a lot of the um, interesting kind of morally gray uh, areas that they throw at those characters ultimately do not serve them the best. It also doesn't help that the antagonists of the movie are barely given any focus when they are also, I think, is equally an important part. And then WandaVision, again, I was literally just having this discussion last night where I'm like, man, what a, what a badass, ambitious thing for them to come out of the gates after COVID for that and 
for it to ultimately stick strong to its guns until the end when it just gives up and becomes another generic Marvel energy ball throwing thing. You know, it sets up Wanda really nicely for her arc and multiverse of madness. But again, it's like, I just, I wish it could have really seen it through. But the stuff that it does great, it does well. And then the top five, which I think are, to nobody's surprise, I think some of the best things that have come out of Marvel in the last couple of years, that of course being Hawkeye, Moon Knight, the first season of Loki, Wakanda Forever, and No Way Home, where Hawkeye, again, it's just, it's a fun Christmas holiday romp. It knows what it is. It's not trying to take itself seriously. It's just trying to have a fun, action-filled romp, throw in a few cameos, and it does exactly that. Moon Knight, and surprisingly interesting and compelling origin story. It, it goes into a little bit of different territory that Marvel hasn't done before. I actually like, like, the, I think the thing that it does the best is presenting how, like, kind of the identity crisis that Mark Spector and uh, Stephen Grant are finding themselves in really puts them in positions where they feel like they're not in control of their own body. I think that's the thing that um, applies the most to people with that sort of struggle is never feeling like you're in control, and I think they captured that the best. Um, then Loki, obviously, again, everybody loves it. It's a great science fiction time-hopping thing, and as far as being the first thing that really sets us up for the multiverse, I think it does really well. Um, oh yeah, and I almost forgot. Uh, what if? What if would be in there as well? What if is number three? Uh, I, I've already gone into my reasons for that. And then again, what kind of forever for all the reasons why we said, and then no way home. Those are easily the two best. So yeah, that would be my ranking of all of the Marvel Phase Four that we've gotten so far. I might make an official video at a certain point. I might not. I am not sure about yet. But I can Luke, share my show rankings. Yes, uh, so, please do. I have not finished She-Hulk, but it would be at the bottom. No question about that. No uh, question. At number seven, I have What If. Mm. Uh, there were just a few too many duds in that for me. Uh, some were really good, like the Doctor Strange one. I think that's still one of one of the yeah, best the, small the things. The Doctor Strange one, the Marvel Zombies one, and then the last two episodes with Infinite Ultron and the Guardians of the Multiverse, I think, were the high points of that. Although I will say, when Hank Pym kills the Avengers, I think that was a really underrated episode. Uh, at number six, I have Hawkeye. I don't know. It was just kind of, eh, for me, it, I thought it was bit of a typical Marvel six six part event as they like to call them. Uh but looking back, it was fine. Like whatever. Yeah. Uh then I think I have WandaVision, but then I have Falcon Winter Soldier. I those I don't really know. I've watched them so long ago. Yeah. I don't know how they would age. Oh, it's been uh, so it's hard to believe again. We we talked about those shows so much. And those shows were the subject of so much discourse and attention at the beginning of the pandemic. And now it's been almost two years since they came out. It's it's wild. Yeah. I think maybe WandaVision was a, was a bit too gimmicky. And then it kind of never really went anywhere with that. Then, then Falcon Winter Soldier, I think we agree on that. It kind of dropped the ball in the end. But I think maybe because it was COVID, like prime COVID this was shot in, that kind of affected it. So I'll... I'll give them a little bit of leeway for that. And they made Latvia canon in the MCU. So yeah. Shout out to them. Then I have Loki. I think it has some really good Loki stuff, like Loki himself. But uh, And the finale for once was different to what yes. we had previously. It's just them sitting in a room. Jonathan Manger is doing his thing. Yep. That, that, that fully convinced me that he's going to be just so good. Uh, then I have Moon Knight. I think I enjoyed Moon Knight. Would I enjoy it as much in a rewatch? That's a different thing. But I think the, the mythology of it was really cool. The the dual identity thing really worked for me. And it's probably too high, but Miss Marvel, like the first half was so good. Really? And then the second half was just was not good. typical MCU. I don't know, man. It's like, it depends. Every single person I look at it tells me a different thing about it. But it's like, I don't know, just for me... 
it looked too much like a Disney Channel show, you know, like not even like just like a Disney. That, like, that's it, me some some of that. What I like. I mean, that, that's, that, that's it, fair. It, so it that had like sense. the graphics coming up, like right. a bit of a Spider-Verse thing. I thought that was cool. But every episode, they leaned further away from it. And then it just became another WandaVision finale type uh, thing. Yeah, that's that's always is. But just more throwing. But I'm looking forward to seeing her in the the Marvels. Yeah, we'll see about that. I'm I'm the jury jury's still out on that one. As far as the movies that are coming out, since we're back into three with Blade uh, next year, I'm I'm very very much looking forward to Quantum Mania and Guardians three. The Marvels, I'm I'm still out. I know they got a new director, a new creative team. You know the 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 baggage of Captain Marvel obviously is not going to help that one a bit, but who knows? You know, I'll give it a chance, just like I do with every Marvel thing. So before we wrap up and get out of here, Luke, your final thoughts and star ratings on Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. My final star rating is a three point five. It sits just below the first Black Panther in my MCU ranking. Uh, where will it go on a rewatch, up or down? I don't really know. Uh, so it comes in at thirteenth for me right now. Uh, yeah, that 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 overall Marvel ranking is one I'm I'm a little bit uh, I'm a little bit skeptical about ever trying to do just because like there's just there's so many differences between the approach to the Infinity right. Saga versus the Multiverse Saga, just so much different bias and baggage. I I, I don't know if I'm ever going to do a combined Marvel ranking, but for me, at least for 2022, which I would posit is probably the most disappointing year for me Marvel wise since I want to say like 2013 was probably the last year where I just actively disliked pretty much everything that I was getting from Marvel because that was the infamous year of Iron Man 3 and Thor the Dark World where they kind of didn't know what they were doing post the first Avengers movie uh, I, I was a big fan of this movie Ooh, excuse me. It went in directions that I was not expecting at all. It took, again, probably one of the worst situations that I think any movie crew, forget if it's part of Disney or not, could find themselves in and made something really special and really heartfelt and really emotional and something that's actually emotionally resounding in a way that not a lot of blockbusters are right now. Uh, the things that it concerns itself with are actually surprisingly mature. The depths that it goes to are actually pretty intense. The new characters that they bring in, I think are excellent and provide really new good additions to the MCU. And overall, again, I just, I had a blast watching it. it. It really, really was just what it is that everything that I've been complaining about that blockbusters are just not delivering. And this movie gave it to me in spades. So for me, it's a four out of five. I couldn't quite push it to that four and a half range. It's not quite in that infinity war, Endgame, civil war, guardians of the galaxy as part, but it's, it's just about there. Um, I like it just as much as the first one. I think I still like the first one a little bit more, but this one comes damn close. And yeah, it, it's a great time. I, I definitely recommend going out and seeing it. So with that being said, Luke, thank you so much for coming on. This was tremendously helpful. I know I always said I was going to tell people how uh, a couple things changed behind the scenes last minute, but the point is you came in, you did what you do. You are Luke the man. And where can the good people follow you on the interwebs? Uh, they can follow me at Luke underscore reviews on Instagram. Every now and then I might post something funny on my story. Uh, I think I posted a, a clip of Daniel Craig and 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 captioned it. I think people might enjoy some find some enjoyment in that. Uh, otherwise, on Letterboxd, maybe I write a funny review sometimes. Sometimes a serious one. I, I write serious ones for the big new releases like Wakanda yeah. Forever uh, and Bullet Train, of course. Yes, of course. Uh, but yeah. All right. I hopefully I'll be back sooner than later. Oh, you will. Yeah, trust later. me. After this, you will definitely, definitely be back sooner than later. Maybe, maybe, maybe on another uh, on another big uh, underwater movie featuring oh, yeah. you know some blue people again. What what the coincidences here? Like this is too much. This is this is too much. We'll we'll save that for the Avatar podcast. And of course, you guys can follow me at Movie Nerd Reviews across all platforms at Official Talking TV Podcast. Subscribe to us on YouTube. 
Follow us on Twitch, all that good old rigmarole. This episode will be available if you're watching it now on YouTube. This episode will be available to listen to on Spotify tomorrow on Monday. And as always, people, you know the drill. 12 seasons in a short film and watch more fucking movies. We'll see you guys next time. We'll <laughs>